All right, well, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word today. It is Palm Sunday, but I don't have a traditional Palm Sunday message for you. Uh, in fact, the message that I want to share with you today, God began to stir on my heart last Sunday afternoon. After all of our church responsibilities were done, I went surfing, and as I was sitting out in the ocean, God began to speak to me about rest. And so I want to teach you today about rest, and I'm going to be honest, this is a topic that I have never taught on before. And that's probably because this is something I'm not really good at. I have not been good at rest. I have not been good at protecting the Sabbath in my life. And God is challenging me to be better. And God has spoken to me to repent of this so that I can be a better shepherd and a better leader to God's people. And so we're going to dive into this topic of rest today. The title of the sermon is Breathe In, Breathe In. And, and you're going to find as we go through this that, that it's going to culminate in Exodus 31, 17. And we're going to talk about what breathe in means. But if you've got your notes, uh, you can find the, the sermon notes either in our church app. You can find them if you're watching this video on our website. You can find them attached to the bottom of the video. Or we also sent it out to anyone who's on our email list. We sent out the sermon notes on our email list as well. So I've told many times uh, our testimony that when I was running a suicide prevention program that we went through several years where we lived in poverty. Uh, we didn't know where our money was coming from. We pressed in and we did everything we could, but we still struggled and we had to trust in the Lord day by day. And during that season, one of the things that we lost is our minivan had gotten repossessed. And so we were really struggling with transportation being able to get the kids to school, me being able to go to work and being able to go to meetings and be able to, to go to schools and do the things that I was trying to do. And there was a family that, uh, that we had met doing ministry and they believed in our suicide prevention ministry and they believed in what we were doing. And so they knew the struggles we were going through. And one day they called us and they said, Aaron, we've got an old car sitting around on our property and we'd like to give it to you. We want to bless you with this car. And so I drove out to their property and there was this car, a 1980s powder blue Chevy Camaro. I kid you not, when I drove in this car, I felt like I needed to grow out a mullet and only play Motley Crue on cassette tapes. All right, that's how 80s this car was. But it was a blessing and we were so appreciative of it. But with any old car, especially an old car that's sat around for a long time, it required a lot of maintenance. And the more I drove this car around, the more things started to fall apart. The worst one was I was driving one day and the steering wheel popped right out of the steering column into my hands. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Is this happening right now? And I had to put the car uh, into, into park, had to switch it to neutral and get some help even pushing it on the road because I couldn't steer it anywhere. Well, eventually after all the things that we had to do to, to keep this car running, uh, the engine started making a really weird noise. And so I took it into the mechanic and he said, the engine is shot. It's going to need a complete rebuild. And he quoted me a price that was thousands of dollars. And I said to the mechanic, I said, if I had thousands of dollars, I wouldn't be driving this car right now. And he agreed with me. He said, the car is not even worth that much money. He said, why don't you do this? Why don't you just drive the car until the engine blows up? and then just turn it into the salvage yard. 
And I said, all right, sounds like good advice to me. And so I drove that thing. It lasted another several weeks after that. But sure enough, one afternoon, I was driving into a school parking lot to go do an after-school program with kids. And as I drove into the parking lots, I heard the, the pop and the smoke started billowing out from under the hood. And I had to coast into a parking spot. And I left it parked right there at the elementary school, called the salvage yard, and they came and towed it away. You see, this car, this powder blue Chevy Camaro, this car was a great gift and we were so appreciative of the gift. But I drove this car into the ground. I drove it until it died because I couldn't afford the maintenance. You say, Pastor, why are you telling us about your old car? And that's because of this, because our lives are a great gift from God. See, God has only given us one body and he's only given us one life to live in this body. But the sad thing is, is many of us, we're driving ourselves into the ground. We're killing ourselves when the maintenance is offered to us absolutely free. We can afford it. We're just not doing it. I learned a new word this week. It's a Japanese word, and that word is karoshi, karoshi. And in Japanese, this word literally means to work yourself to death, to work yourself to death. Prior to the late 70s, this word didn't even exist in the Japanese language. They had to invent this word. It was first coined in 1978, and then it began to gain wide usage throughout the 80s because of the culture that was happening in Japan, that there was so much pressure to work as hard as you could and to be as successful as you could, that people were working themselves to death. I found this report from Japan in the 1980s, and they, they left out the people's names uh, for privacy. But in this report, they referred to Mr. A. Mr. A worked at a major snack food processing company, and he worked as many as 110 hours a week. Not a month, 110 hours a week. That's more than two and a half normal 40-hour work weeks. And this man, Mr. A, died from a heart attack at the age of 34. Mr. B in the report was a bus driver. He worked 3,000 hours a year. That's an average of about 60 hours a week. And he had not had a day off in 15 days when he had a stroke and died at the age of 37. Miss D was a 22-year-old nurse. At 22 years old, she died from a heart attack after working 34 consecutive hour shifts at least five times a month. People were working themselves to death. And, and I wanna to talk today because I believe that there are some of us that are running these bodies into the ground, these gifts that God has given us. And some might think it's weird that I'm talking about rest when most of us are actually working less than usual, either because so many have been laid off or because so many are working from home. But I feel this, I believe that just because we are cooped up in our houses doesn't mean that we're resting. Because as we're cooped up in our houses, we're still filled with anxiety. We're still being consumed by fear. We're still plugging ourselves completely into electronics and we're not finding rest. And all of this stress that we're experiencing is gonna drive the engines of our bodies into the ground until they're gonna pop and then we've got nothing left. 
So I want to teach you today on rest. We're going to start from the very beginning. The book of Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. I want to talk about practicing Sabbath rest. God invented the Sabbath. And here's the thing. In the Genesis, when he was completing creation, the law didn't exist. The old covenant didn't exist. So we can't just blow off the Sabbath as just some old covenant rule. The Sabbath was a principle that God instituted from the very beginning. And the amazing thing is that God didn't need to rest. God is all-powerful. He never runs out of resources. He always has everything that he needs. He has all the energy that he needs, everything. And yet he rested. Why? Because he wanted to model rest for us. This isn't the only time that God did something he didn't need to do just to model it for us. Jesus was water baptized. He had no sin that he needed to be cleansed from in his life. And yet he was water baptized as a model for us. And here God was modeling for us rest. If the most powerful being in the universe, whose job it is to hold the entire universe together and whose job it is to maintain an intimate relationship with every person on this planet. And yet he made it a priority to rest. If we fast forward to Exodus chapter 16, This is the first time in the Bible that the word Sabbath is actually used. And you can see in your notes there, the word Sabbath, it means to cease from work. You see, Sabbath isn't like a fancy religious word. Sabbath just means to stop working. To practice Sabbath rest begins with to stop working. And you see, God first introduces this to the children of Israel after he has delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And think about this. They had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And as slaves, there were not good working conditions. There was no unions to to support the cause of the slaves. Slaves didn't get days off. They didn't get weekends. They didn't get 40-day work weeks. They didn't get mandatory vacation time. They didn't get mandatory lunch breaks during their work day. As slaves, they just worked and they worked and they were not allowed to cease from their working. And so God, after he delivers them out of slavery, the first thing he does when he gets them out into the wilderness of Sinai is he sets a new schedule for them. He sets a new rhythm for their life. He says, listen, what you're going to do from now on is you're only going to work six days a week. And on the seventh day, you're going to Sabbath. You're going to cease from your working and you're going to rest. And not only that, but all throughout your year, there's going to be festivals where you're going to stop working and you're going to celebrate and you're going to rest together. God was creating a new rhythm for their lives. And I want to encourage you today that God wants to create a new rhythm for your life and where you're at in your journey. Let's check this out. How did God institute it? Exodus chapter 16. This happens at the same time that God has introduced manna. 
this mysterious food that showed up on the ground every morning to supernaturally provide for them. Starting in verse 22 of Exodus 16, Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, or manna, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. You see, when God first made the manna appear, he told them, only gather as much as you need for today, because tomorrow I'll provide what you need for tomorrow. And so, of course, the people put it to the test because that's what we as, as sinful humans always do is we take what God said and we put it to the test. And so they gathered some extra. And the next morning, the extra that they had gathered had rotted and smelled foul and had turned nasty. And that's why they were so surprised when they woke up on the Sabbath morning and the extra that they had kept hadn't rotted. And they even went out to check, right? They couldn't just trust God's word. They went out to the field and said, I just want to make sure there's not actually any manna on the ground out here. And Moses was like, why do you guys keep doing this? He says, stay in your homes. Don't work. Take a Sabbath rest. You see, a lot about Sabbath has to do with trusting in God's provision. To take a Sabbath requires us to trust God's provision for our lives. This is the same as the principle of the tithe, right? God asks us to give the first 10% of all of our income. And in order to do that, we have to believe that God can do more with 90% of our income than we could do with 100% of our income on our own. And the same thing is true of the Sabbath rest. We have to believe that God could do more with six days of our life than we could do with seven days in our own strength. So part of our struggle with taking a Sabbath rest is that we don't trust God enough. Another part of it is what I would call a hero complex, where we believe if I don't do it, it won't get done. And so we say, I have so much to do, so I can't take a Sabbath. I've got to provide for my family, so I can't take a Sabbath. There's so many people that count on me, so I can't take a Sabbath. And yet we forget that the God of the universe, whose life is way more complicated than ours, whose life is way more busy than ours, he has way more responsibility than we do. And yet what did he do? He rested. We have to trust that if we don't do it for a day, God is still big enough to take care of it. God rested. 
and he calls us to rest also. The Sabbath is a gift for our blessing, not a burden or a law for us to follow. It's a gift. Listen, what did we see there in verse 29 that we just read? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Lord has given you the Sabbath and he's going to provide for you. It is a blessing for you. It's not meant to be a burden. So if you're offered a second job and that second job means that you don't get a Sabbath day during the week, then you should turn down that second job. And you say, but pastor, I need the money. Well, I believe that God has a way of providing for you that doesn't steal your Sabbath from you. But you have to trust God enough to turn down that job. Somebody calls you up and says, something needs to be done. We've got to trust God enough to say, I need this Sabbath. It's been given to me as a gift. And if I trust this gift, then I can also trust that God is going to provide for me. You see, what had happened by the time Jesus had come on the scene is that the the religious leaders of the Israelites had taken what was a gift from God and they had added so many rules to it, so many burdens to it. People were stressed out by it and it was no longer a blessing. In Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23, and it happened that he, Jesus, was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us as a gift. We weren't made for the Sabbath. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath like it was some sort of a burden or some sort of a cross to bear. The Sabbath was made for us so that we could find rest so that we could trust God and so that God could bless us through our trusting Him. Fast forward to Exodus 31 and the Lord gives even more instructions and even more insight on the Sabbath. The Lord spoke to Moses, this is verse 12. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, but as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. This sounds pretty harsh. But this is how serious God wants us to take the Sabbath, that he actually put a death penalty on it. Verse 15, for six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest. Not partial rest, not resting some of the day, a day of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath, 
to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. And then let's get to verse 17. I told you this would be the pinnacle of this. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day, he ceased from labor and was refreshed. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. Listen, this was not a part of the old covenant that was made obsolete when Jesus fulfilled the law. This is a part of a covenant that lasts forever. And today, who are the sons of Israel? It's the followers of Jesus. It's anyone who professes Jesus as Lord. So what does that mean? That means that the Sabbath is a part of our witness that sets us apart from the rest of the world. Just like the Jews had circumcision as a sign of the covenant. And as followers of Christ, we have a few signs. We have water baptism is a sign of our covenant. We have communion that's a sign of our covenant. But God clearly teaches here that the Sabbath would be a part of our witness. That as we try to tell people that we are set apart, as we try to tell people that Jesus has done something new within us, the Sabbath is a part of that witness. The Sabbath is a part of that witness. And just like so many other things in the lives of Christians where we feel uh, so it's so necessary to try to blend in with the world, it's so necessary to try to be relevant to the world that we've lost our witness, the Sabbath is a part of us losing our witness. We're no longer set apart because we drive ourselves into the ground just like everybody else does. Think about Chick-fil-A, the fast food chicken sandwich restaurants, This was a business that was opened by a man who was a passionate follower of Christ. And he decided that the Sabbath was a part of his witness. And so even as a businessman and a restaurateur, it was going to continue to be a part of his witness. And so to this day, Chick-fil-A's are closed every Sunday. And he doesn't make any of his employees work on a Sunday. And you know what? God has blessed Chick-fil-A and it continues to be one of the fastest growing fast food chains in America. Why? Because a man of God made the Sabbath a priority and it was a part of his witness. You see, in American culture, we work for rest, right? We say things like, well, I just got to get all of this done and then I can rest. The problem is, is that list of things we need to get done never gets done. In God's kingdom, we work not for rest. We work from rest. We rest and then everything that we do comes out of the refreshing that we have found by connecting with our God in a Sabbath rest. You see, the the Jewish people, they even looked at the calendar differently than we do. You know, when we look at the calendar, we, we look at it as day and night, right? And so we consider that our day starts when we wake up in the morning And our day ends at at midnight when we're asleep. So we work all day and then we rest at the end of the day when we go to sleep. You see, for the Jewish people, they looked at their calendar differently. They considered that a new day actually started in the evening. And if you read the book of Genesis chapter 1, you'll see this. When it's outlying each day of the creation, what is it saying? It says evening and morning, then was the first day evening and morning, and then was the second day. You see, if we had written it, we would have said day and night was the first day, but no, they said evening and morning. 
was the first day. Evening and morning was the second day. Why? Because their day started at evening. Why? Because their day started with rest. It didn't end with rest. It started from rest. And if we can work from rest rather than working for rest, we're going to become a better version of ourselves. And we're going to become more effective ambassadors for the kingdom of God. It's a part of our witness. But the other thing I want us to get here from verse 17 is it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. And this is hard to think about. Wait a minute. God who never gets tired? God who never runs out of energy? God who always has abundant resources? How could God be refreshed? Well, if we look at the Hebrew word that is translated refreshed there, the Hebrew word actually means to breathe freely. To breathe freely. And this is why the title of this sermon is to breathe in. Because resting... And refreshing truly is the ability to take a deep breath. It's to breathe in. It's to be able to rest. Think about this. How did God create during the six days of creation? He spoke and things came into existence. What is speaking? Speaking is exhaling across our vocal cords. So all week long, God was exhaling, speaking things into existence. And then even when he made man with his own hands, he breathed life into him. He exhaled. On the seventh day, what did God do? He inhaled. He breathed in. And that ability to stop and to breathe in is the truest sign of rest. I was... 21 years old when I checked myself into rehab. After six years of drug addiction and my life spiraling out of control, and my probation officer said, either check yourself into rehab or I'm just going to put you right back in jail. And I thought, okay, rehab can't be any worse than jail. Well, while I was in rehab, my counselor was a guy named Kenny. And Kenny was a big guy and he was a Harley Davidson biker and he always wore his leathers into the rehab house and he had a long ponytail and a big beard and everything you would expect from a biker except he wasn't a tough guy. And he always gave the same advice. I would go into my counselor, Kenny, and I would be freaking out about this and that and I'm stressed out and I'm anxious and I got to take care of things and, and I'm struggling with this. And he would always give me the same advice. He would look at me and he would say, Aaron, just breathe. Just breathe. And I would be like, no, that's not the answer. What? I'm paying for this. Come on. I need some better guidance than this. And he would say, just breathe. Just breathe. And I hated it. Now, years later, maybe I'm a little bit more mature. I'm starting to understand what he was talking about. See, when we're able to stop and just breathe and just slow down, and rest, and just connect with God, we find a refreshing there, and suddenly our best selves start coming out, and everything that God meant us to be begins to come out in our lives. Blaise Pascal, who is known as a great mathematician, but he was also a man of faith, and he dabbled in philosophy, Blaise Pascal said this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. All of humanity's problems stem from a man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. 
to breathe in and to connect with God in Sabbath rest. You see, when we're anxious, when we're stressed, when we're overworked, we can't breathe. You know what I'm talking about. You feel that tightness in your chest and you can't take a deep breath. Think about what the coronavirus does to the human body. It tightens your chest so you can't take a deep breath. Even the coronavirus is a reminder of how important rest is, how important it is for us to breathe in. So how do we respond to this? God is offering us the gift of Sabbath. I want to get real practical with you and and, and help us understand how do we respond to the gift of Sabbath? The first thing in your notes is take it seriously. Take it seriously. God included the Sabbath as part of the Ten Commandments, right? This was God's top ten list of the most important rules for people to follow. And he included it in there. And as Christians, you know, whenever there's a rule we don't like, we just say, oh, we're not under the law anymore. We don't have to follow that rule. But we don't treat the rest of the Ten Commandments that way, right? It's not like if we say, well, you know what? I'm going to go to work on the Sabbath day. Well, if you're going to do that, then on the way, why don't you commit adultery and rob a 7-Eleven and murder somebody? You say, well, that's crazy, Pastor. Well, those are all in the Ten Commandments. And if we're going to throw away one, why don't we throw away all of them? The first thing we need to do is to start taking it seriously. That if we don't embrace this gift that God has given us, it's going to be to the detriment of our health. It's going to be to the detriment of our relationship with God. And it's going to be to the detriment of the effectiveness of the life that we can live for God. I don't know about you, but when I stand before God on my judgment day, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And the best way that I can be a good and faithful servant for God is to rest and to take the Sabbath rest seriously. The second thing we need to do is keep it holy. Keep it holy. Holy means set apart for God. So that means that we need to keep a Sabbath rest set apart for God. So the first practical thing we can do is schedule our Sabbath. Now, with the Jews, the Sabbath was always the seventh day of their week, which was Saturday. And so for the Jewish people, they always took Sabbath rest on Saturday. We don't have to do that. Your Sabbath rest could be any day of the week. The important thing is that you schedule it into your calendar. Actually write it into your calendar that you're not going to do any work, that you're not going to do any sort of draining activities on that day. Write it into your calendar. And then in order to keep it holy... We have to be vigilant to protect it. Be vigilant to protect it. And this is where I have failed as your pastor. My Sabbath day is Monday. I take every Monday off, but you know what? I have not been vigilant to protect it. I thought, you know what? It's okay to take some phone calls. You know what? It's okay to take care of a few emails. You know what? There was a lot of work from last week that I didn't get done. So let me go ahead and get it done on Monday so that I can start fresh on Tuesday. And I have failed in being vigilant to keep my Sabbath holy. There's a principle that I learned a long time ago, and that is this. Work will always expand to fill the time you allot to it. Work will always expand to fill the time you allot to it. So don't allot any time to working on your Sabbath and work won't fill up your Sabbath. 
The other problem, though, is that we have to say no to people in order to keep our Sabbath holy. No, I can't do that for you today. No, I can't come over and do that. And we can feel selfish saying no to people. Pastor Robbie Gallaty said this, though. He said, self-care is never selfish. It's always strategic. Self-care is never selfish. It's always strategic. I'm saying no to you today so that I can be better the other six days of the week. I'm saying no to some things today so that I can do more the other six days of the week. We have got to be vigilant to keep it holy and set those boundaries around it. Next in your notes, it says what we don't do. What we don't do on our Sabbath is we don't work. So that means we don't check emails. We don't take work phone calls. We don't go do a bunch of draining work because we've got projects at home or projects at our uncle's house or whatever the case may be. We don't work and we also don't do any life draining activities, which might include hanging out with life draining people. Come on, you know, we've all got life draining people in our lives. We love them. We want to be there for them, but it takes something out of us to be around them. Don't be around those people on your Sabbath. Don't work. Right? What did God say in Exodus 16? He said, don't even leave your house. Because if you leave your house, you might be tempted to go do work. He said, just stay home and rest. Well, then what do we do? Well, listen, rest is more than just sitting around doing nothing. There might be a lot of us who sit around doing nothing a lot, but we never truly rest because we never unplug ourselves from the things that are draining us. And we don't plug ourselves into the source of our refreshing. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Man, we are weary we are carrying heavy burdens. And Jesus says, you need to lay it all down and come connect with me. So the most important thing we can do on our Sabbath is connect with Jesus. Connect with the source of our life and the source of our refreshing. Get alone with Jesus and just breathe in with him. But then on our Sabbath, we can also connect with life-giving activities. What gives you life? It's no surprise for me that God spoke to me about this sermon while I was surfing because for me, that's a life-giving activity. And even when the waves are bad, just being out there on the water, being alone, being able to breathe in, being able to see the beauty of God's creation around me. What is your life-giving activity? Is it golfing? Is it, is it knitting? Is it going for a walk? Do some life-giving activities on your Sabbath the Sabbath is not to check off your honeydew list and get a bunch of projects done that you're behind on. The Sabbath is a day to do life-giving activities. And the Sabbath is also a day to connect with life-giving people. On your Sabbath, connect with your family. Connect with your children. Take the time to draw your children and your spouse close to you and connect with them. Other people that fill you up, connect with them. In this day of the coronavirus, we got to connect via phone calls and Zoom meetings. That's okay. We're still connecting with life-giving people. You can see in your notes, Pastor Rick Warren said this, the difference between stressed and blessed is rest. 
Rebecca Lyons, who's a teacher and an author, she said this, God meant for all of our work to culminate in holy, blessed rest. Rest meant to help us reconnect with Him. He intended for us to live fruitful lives, to have hearts full of peace. And if we don't have hearts full of peace, and if we don't find that refreshing, and if we're just stressed out people running around full of anxiety and fear and and overworked and burdened, we don't have any witness to share with the gospel with people. So I want to encourage you this week to be very practical about this. I'm going to challenge you to start with four hours. You say, but it's supposed to be a Sabbath day. It is, but we need to take baby steps. So I'm going to encourage you to start with four hours. I want you to take four hours this week. I want you to write it into your calendar and I want you to keep it holy. Don't let anything touch it. Don't let anything get in the way of it. And then what do you do for those four hours? Well, first, turn off all your electronics. Turn off your phone. You say, I can't turn off my phone. What if there's an emergency? Listen, generations of people for thousands of years have survived without a cell phone. You can make it four hours without your cell phone. Turn it off. Turn off all electronics. For those of you that are like me, that you read your Bible on your electronics, you're going to have to dust off your old paper copy of your Bible. Turn off all your electronics. Don't do any work and get alone. I know it's hard because we can't leave our houses that often, but we can leave our houses to go hiking. We can leave our houses to go uh, walk on the beach. We're not supposed to sit on the beach, but we can go walk on the beach. Get yourself alone. Get yourself quiet and just breathe. Just start breathing in and connect with Jesus. Henry Henry Nguyen said this, without silence, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Think about that. Without silence, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. He went on to say, we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to listen to God and be with him. So I want you to take four hours, turn everything off, unplug from everything, get alone, get quiet, and just start to breathe and connect with Jesus. And that might include reading your word, that might include singing a song that's on your heart, that's gonna include some silence where God can speak into your soul and connect with the refreshing. And then the rest of your four hours, do a life-giving activity. I'm going to encourage you this week. Just take four hours. Now, let that four hours be the starting point, not the ending point. Let it be the starting point. And maybe that four hours will grow into six. Maybe it'll grow into eight. And that doesn't mean that that I'm just saying leave your family for a whole day. No, include your family in your Sabbath. Teach the Sabbath principle to your whole family and bring them together. Do life-giving activities. Stop doing work. I want to close with this. Many of us have experienced this before. We take our phones and we plug them in at night to charge them, right? And then we go to sleep. And we wake up the next day, we grab our phones and we head out to work or we head out to do our errands for the day. And as we're in our car, as we're getting in our car, we look at our phones and what do we see? That dreaded red bar. Your phone was plugged in all night, but for some reason it didn't charge And then what are you doing for the rest of your day, whether you're at school or you're at work or whatever, is you're trying to nurse your phone through the day. 
you're doing whatever you can. If you got a minute to plug it into something, plug it in for a minute and, you know, turn it into low power mode and, and, and all day, but it usually doesn't work, right? By the end of the day, our phone has died and now we feel helpless and alone until we can make it home and plug our phones back in. Well, listen, many of us are living our lives this way. We wake up in the morning, but we aren't recharged. We're on a red bar. We feel just as exhausted and stressed out and hopeless as we did the night before. And we try to nurse ourselves through the day, but we usually don't make it. And this is why we find ourselves getting mad so easily. This is why we find ourselves so quickly snapping at our kids. This is why we're not effective at our jobs like we used to be. This is why we don't have the creative juices to solve problems and move forward like we used to. This is why we don't have the patience with our spouses and we get uh, agitated by our spouses. This is why we don't have the motivation to share the gospel or to minister to somebody. This is why we don't have the, the passion to serve the Lord with all of our hearts. This is why we're not growing personally is because we're living our lives every day with a red bar. And my challenge to you, Kauai Bible Church and anybody else that's watching this, is will you join me in repenting of not keeping the Sabbath holy? And will you join me in this journey of learning how to connect with Jesus through Sabbath rest, that we might become the best version of ourselves and that we might fulfill everything God intended for our lives? Can I pray for you today? And will you take this challenge this week, four hours, put it in your calendar, And let's begin to practice Sabbath rest. And I guarantee you, you're going to experience so much blessing from it. It's not going to take you long to build it up to a day and to keep that day holy. Let me pray for you. Lord, let this word go out. God, through our website, through Facebook, wherever people are consuming this, let this word go forth. And I pray that it would stir people's hearts. God, I pray right now that you would give people revelation, that they would see where they're at in their life and they would recognize this isn't where I meant to end up. I didn't mean to end up this stressed out, this agitated, this angry, this snappy, this hopeless, this overburdened. I didn't mean to have to end up here and to always feel behind, always feel like there's more work to do. Oh, Lord, help them, Lord. Help each of us to realize this isn't where we meant to be. And then, Lord, draw us in your kindness, God in your compassion, as Jesus spoke to us, us that are weary and heavy laden, would you draw us into a place of rest? Would you draw us into that place, Lord? Thank you for that, Jesus. Give us the strength and the courage to set the boundaries we need to set. And then, Lord, help us to breathe in. Lift the burden off of our shoulders. Let us carry your yoke that is easy and light. Lift the tightness from our chests that we can begin to breathe in. Help us to reconnect with you and open our eyes to the potential that we have to walk with you as refreshed individuals, as a refreshed people of God. And let that be our witness to this world, that more people would be one to Christ. More people would hear the gospel because they would see that there truly is something different about us. We thank you for this, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, rest is so important in the Bible that the writer of Hebrews actually used the concept of rest to talk about salvation. 
And he said to be diligent to find the rest that we have in God. If you haven't made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, if you've never understood the gospel, that God wanted so badly to have a relationship with you, wanted so badly for you to find that rest in him, that Jesus came to this earth and he died on a cross and shed his blood on the cross to pay the price for your every sin. We can't forgive our own sin. We can't do enough good deeds to erase our sin. The only thing that can erase our sin is the blood of Jesus. Every mistake, every wrong choice, everything we've done outside the will of God, the moment we declare that we believe in Jesus and that he is the Lord of our lives, his blood covers your every sin, restores your relationship with God, begins to make you a brand new person, and then you can find that rest that your soul has been crying out for. Make that decision today. And if you're sitting alone and there's nobody next to you, then call somebody and tell them that you've made that decision today and that you're ready to walk with Jesus for the rest of your life.